Hello and welcome to the Neighbourhood Podcast, a conversation on how to optimise and organise your digital channels. My name's Dan and I'm joined by Emma. Hello, Emma. Hello, Dan. This is the same but different, right? We've done podcasts before, but here we are in the Neighbourhood doing the new Neighbourhood Podcast. Yeah, I'm very, very excited for this podcast. I absolutely love having conversations with you, you know, over <laughs> recorded microphones. We've done it many a time before, but no, I'm excited for this neighborhood one. I think it's going to be brilliant. Great. Well, if you're listening in today, we hope that you enjoy the next 25 minutes, half an hour or so. Emma and I are just going to chat through some social media myths today. So we've written down a list of five myths that we hear quite a lot with clients around the industry. And so hopefully by the end of this conversation, you'll get a bit of insight on how to make the most of your social media and do things a little bit differently against the uh, against the grain. So before we dive in, Emma, should we introduce ourselves? Because people might not know who we are and what we do. Our history goes back a number of years of working together in different contexts. So, yeah, maybe we should share a little bit about ourselves. Yes, definitely. So my name is Emma Borkway. I am a digital strategist. I have been a lover of social media for a very long time. I think I've basically just grown up in the social media (laughs) generation, whether it was MySpace, Bebo, (laughs) MSN Messenger. I was going to say, what what was your first social media? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure. mm, Yeah, it must have been MySpace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember I got Instagram when I was probably, oh, I was 19 when I got Instagram. So a late bloomer, you may say, for the Instagram world, seeing as now people have it age like 13. But, can you um, remember your first Instagram photo? Yeah, I can. remember I can. mine was like a, an arty photo of my now wife's like chest of drawers where she had a vase on top and a couple of like flowery type things and the clock in the background. And it's just like the dullest photo you've ever seen. <laughs> I bet you were really proud of it as well. (laughs) It was, yeah. Yeah, mine was a picture of I had gone to one of those like outdoor, what is it called? Like a wildlife park. And I'd taken a picture of a butterfly. So, you know, just out there in nature. But yeah, so I've always absolutely loved social media, being a very big advocate for it. I think we're in a time now where people have got a lot of negative things to say about social media, but I'm always trying to find the positives. I'm always trying to find ways that we can use it to its maximum, ways that we can get the most out of it. It's an incredible medium. It's an incredible tool for communication. So yeah, I love being able to help organizations make the most of their channels and make the most of the conversations that they're able to have with their audiences through social media. Mm. So yeah, that's what I do at the moment. That's what I do with Neighborhood. I also, outside of that, am the founder of an organization called Girl Got Faith, which is a nonprofit for teenage girls, helping them explore faith, identity, and purpose. So yeah, that's what I also do on the side, which is very related as well to the whole social media world and digital kind of stuff because we're a digital first platform so yeah great and we met at the international development charity tier fund where we worked together we did so before that i'd been in various marketing roles for other charities and, and not for profits and we met there worked together there for what was it three years three and a half years yeah something like that and so now we work together as part of neighborhood so neighborhood is the digital marketing agency that i've founded with my friend and business partner, Matt, and Emma works with us on a number of client accounts, helping them boost the performance of social media and create new online audiences there. So that's a little bit of history. 
We're glad that you joined us on the podcast. And now we're going to get into five social media myths. So in this episode, we're talking social media myths, the things that we've heard from clients and around the industry that we're just not sure are true, that we think might be misleading. And sometimes in the search of success, people go to the same cliches and the same experts. But actually, sometimes when you dig beneath the surface, you find out something different. So here are five myths that we've heard. And Emma, you've got the first one for us. Okay, so the first myth that we believe is a myth. This is all up for uh, debate as well, if anybody disagrees <laughs> with us. Is it, Dan? Is that up for debate? Yeah, absolutely. We love we love a debate and conversation around this stuff. So yeah, get in touch with us. Okay, so the first myth to discuss is that organic reach is the most crucial metric. I think often reach is seen as the most crucial thing to measure. But if this is something that you're measuring monthly, it's a metric that doesn't really tell you that much because it's very easy to increase your overall reach simply by increasing the quantity of posts. But that's not really going to tell you anything about how your audience are receiving or engaging with these posts or if there's any conversion or really any benefit to your brand whatsoever. So I feel like I liken it in my mind to you know when there's someone who is handing out leaflets on the street it's very natural to just go to the busiest street with the highest footfall and the likelihood is that you will get more leaflets handed out that day because people will be grabbing them as they walk past but is anybody actually thinking about it after that moment or are they chucking it straight in the bin did anything even catch their attention are they going to think about it for any second after they take it out of your hand probably not so yeah you've reached a lot of people you've got something of your message out there to an extent but you can't quantify any impact that that's had on your brand mm. and I think sometimes we can be a bit I don't know I don't know if the right word is deluded <laughs> I feel like that's too strong but <laughs> we can we can be a bit deluded or thrown off by old advertising models that they're these huge brands like Coca-Cola will use because their strategy is to get their name out there and they can do that like they can literally just plaster their logo on the side of a bus and it's going to have an impact but that's because they've done years and years and years of research and work to create such a strong brand that even seeing the red of Coca-Cola makes you think about the drink or hearing the pop of a can opening it makes you automatically thirsty I've even seen something about the pictures of the bubbles of coke <laughs> making you like literally triggering things in your brain to make I'm you thirsty genuine... just hearing you talk about that now <laughs> I need a coke yeah okay guys see if I have just proven to you if you are thinking that you want a can of coke right now this proves that their advertising model is effective but I think often with kind of the majority of brands, smaller brands, and not even that small brands, just the majority of the rest of the brands in the world, we don't have that much of a deep impact on the general public. So it does take mm -hmm. a bit more than just getting your name out there or getting your logo out there as many, many times as possible. Actually, it's about people understanding you and knowing who you are. So I think, yeah, definitely try and not be too thrown off by these advertising models that we've seen in the past for these huge brands that don't yeah. really, they, they're not really, 
they can't associate in the same way to your brand today. And I think we carry that over into our opinions about reach sometimes, just thinking, get your name out there as much as possible and that's all you need. Actually, yeah, definitely. I think you need a bit more. And we, we hear from clients a lot, you know, when we start working with them, they talk about their key performance indicators being reach and engagement. And that, as you say, is is almost a template you know, everyone feels that they need reach and engagement, but that's not taken into the context of your own business and your own goals. Yeah. And the thing is with reach is, so say someone comes to us and says, we want to increase our reach. We could increase their reach really easily just by posting more often. And the frequency of posts is really important. But at the same time, if something can be manipulated and grown just simply by posting more, then it doesn't necessarily move the bottom line objectives that you have. And so you're getting distorted from achieving what you actually want to achieve just by being fixated around reach. So if I did 10 posts every week for a month, I'll increase your reach. And then if I doubled that the following month, month on month, you'll have a reach increase. Now, increasing reach is important, but if you chase after reach, then you're sacrificing things like engagement because ultimately the more you produce, the lower the quality generally, and the lower the quality, the lower the engagement, and the lower the engagement, the more the algorithm hides some of what you produce and not everybody sees it and so long term it's just not a good strategy to go after reach what's far more beneficial is the engagement so how many people are actually commenting liking sharing what you're producing because those are people who are finding real value in what you have and then as you mentioned the action of driving people through to the website and post social media onto your website with a call to action and measuring the actual deliverables and and the results of the social media activity as well so yeah, I completely agree with you, Emma. That's it's a great one to start off with. So, number two, social media myth number two is your content needs to beat the algorithm. Now, I've just mentioned the algorithm, and knowing about the algorithm is important. But here's the thing: social media and the social media companies want one thing. They want to keep you on their platform. And so the algorithm is designed in a way to favor content that keeps people on the platform the problem with the algorithm is it changes so frequently and it adapts so that you cannot cheat the algorithm and so as soon as people start to know how the algorithm works instagram facebook develop it further to change to look out for different things because they don't want people essentially cheating the game and spamming everybody and beating the algorithm when they don't deserve to beat the algorithm so knowing how the algorithm works does help but The best thing brands can do sometimes is forget completely about the algorithm and just make good content. Make good content that's going to make people want to stay on Instagram and stay on Facebook and any other social media for longer. Because ultimately, regardless of how the algorithm works, that is what the social media networks want. And so if you create a video, make sure people want to watch it for as long as possible. So make sure the first three seconds is engaging and captures the attention is someone scrolling through they want to stop and watch the first bit of that video make sure the video has value throughout make sure it's short and not too long so you're looking at kind of 20 seconds on an average time and make people really want to watch that because if you do that then the algorithm's going to favor you and you don't need to know whether the algorithm favors six second views or 12 second views or whether a video is saved or shared etc just make sure that the video is as engaging as possible. Sometimes we can trip ourselves up just by wondering what the algorithm is actually doing when we need to simplify things a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. I'd also add to that adding subtitles to your videos. Just bearing in mind now there's other features of these apps where people can scroll through with it on mute because people are scrolling through during a meeting. Never me. Of course, I would never do that. But people yeah. do um, or on the bus or whatever. And you don't want a video to play out loud, but you want to see that content. So, yeah, just making it as accessible for people as possible. Also, the other thing we've had success with is creating content for the new format types for different social media. So if Instagram introduces a new format, so whether that was back in the day, Instagram Live or right back in the day, Instagram Stories and now Reels, etc., then creating content for those new format types inevitably does well because Instagram wants to show everybody how good that format type is. So again, without getting into the depths of how does the algorithm work and what types of reels and what types of live and what types of story does it produce, just trying to match the new format types of a platform can really help. So yeah, the myth there is that you need to know everything about the algorithm to beat it and to to cheat your way to success. But if you just focus on creating good content that provides value, that keeps people on the social media platform, then the platform will ultimately reward your content. Yeah, definitely. And also like thinking about what you want to get across as a brand, because it can be easy to just create loads of entertaining content, or maybe it's not that easy, but you could just do stuff that you know people are going to love, but maybe it's not really associating with your brand the way that you need it to. And in that case, you're not getting the value that you need from it. So yeah, you should provide value, but also make sure you find clever ways to weave in your message and get across what you want to say, because otherwise it does Mm. become a little bit pointless to be using social media to get out your brand message if actually all you're trying to do is just entertain people and you never manage to convey any of your brand values or actions that you want people to take. So yeah, I think definitely focus on your audience and provide great content for them that brings value to them, but remember what value you also need from that. Yeah, great advice. I'll follow that up with myth number three, which is people who follow you see your posts. Now, this is one that is widely known, I guess, but it's really important to drive home. So if you have 6,000 followers or 20,000 followers, there's a tendency to assume that your posts reach a significant proportion of that. Actually, what we've found from the clients that we work with is that somewhere between 15 and 40% of your fans uh, and followers will will see your content. And more often than not, it's closer, you know, 15 to 20% of, of people who follow you will see your content. And so this is really important to remember because that 15% is never always the same group of people, but you need to be doing everything you can to try and engage the different types of people who follow you. So the way that the social media platforms work is that the people who interact with you regularly, who like your posts regularly, who comment regularly, they will be more likely to see your posts compared to those who don't. So how do you engage those who aren't closest to you? How do you create content for people who are following you, but may not be the regular commenters or regular likers or sharers? So what that means practically is you may have a business as usual in terms of your content plan. You may have some content pillars that that define what you talk about on social media. You may need to think slightly differently about one of those messages or one of those topics so that you can go broader than your closest fans and followers in order to engage some of these other people out there. Because as soon as they engage with that content, then they're more likely to see your future content. So if you're a holiday company, for example, and you're just talking about your holiday park in Spain or wherever it is, then people who followed you once 
because they like the pictures that you posted of sunsets or the relaxing beach shots, etc., aren't interested about your holiday park. So don't just talk about your holiday park all the time. Talk about holidays and five tips to get the most out of your holiday and you know talk broader about holiday destinations because that is what a percentage of your fans and followers are interested in. That way they'll start to see more of your content because they'll engage with your broader topics and themes. Yeah, definitely. Also, one pretty easy thing that everyone can be doing is posting very regularly on their Instagram stories, because although it works similarly, like what you said, that you'll have your main fans, your main followers who are interacting and engaging with your posts, they get to see your content first. But actually, the Instagram stories are designed and they're built to be scrolled through. So Instagram will just automatically scroll for you. It will go to the next story, the next story, the next story. Even if somebody hasn't engaged with any of your posts in a really long time, but they're still following you, there's a chance that your story will pop up along their list of stories that they're watching. And if it's engaging enough, they might tap on your profile. And that then registers as something to Instagram or one of the platforms that you're using. I think it works for Facebook stories as well. But it registers as then somebody who is now actually engaging with your messaging and your branding and whatever it is that you're putting out so they're going to see your post more in future you're going to be prioritized on their feed again as they move forward so yeah I think definitely doing little easy things as well like posting to stories every day is great and I think we've never seen a reach rate as we define it above 40 percent. so we've never seen an account where more than 40 percent of their followers have seen a particular post and What that tells you is if you have something to launch or something to announce and you do it in a post and then you you share that to a story, it can be that only 40% of your followers know that that is out there and happening. So thinking of different engaging ways that don't feel repetitive to talk about a launch or a product or event is really important. So if it is an event you're running, you might do a launch video and then you follow that up with a speaker post where you share about the speakers who are coming and then you follow up with clips from your previous event and then you follow up with links through to the ticket site so it's about making sure that you're saying the same thing in in different ways over a short period of time to make sure that more than 40 percent know about your new release or new product or new event etc so the next myth that we're going to explore is that hashtags are essential in all circumstances. I think people often believe that hashtags have to be used on every single post, but they're not always effective or useful. They do have some use. I think people will follow hashtags. So that is a thing. You can follow a hashtag on Instagram. You can also use hashtags to be a part of a wider community. You can use them to search keywords. So the way I personally use hashtags as a user not as a content producer is that if I'm at home and I'm looking at a new restaurant that I want to go to I really like to see what people's food looks like (laughs) and what the atmosphere is like more than looking at the restaurant's website because I think well they're just going to put the best pictures ever but I want to get a real idea so I will always search the hashtag of that restaurant because I know that people will be going there and they'll be tagging their location or they'll be hashtagging the name of the restaurant so yeah I like to use hashtags in that kind of way but I think they really work well my favorite way anyway is for them to be used as a community so for example if you've got 
I don't know, a running club or something. Maybe there's a hashtag that you would set up for your running club. And every person who runs with you, whether they know each other or not, they'll all use that same hashtag. And everyone in that community can see each other's posts by looking on the hashtag, seeing what run that person's done that day, how far their time, that kind of stuff. And they don't even need to be one of your followers. They can just see what you're up to by looking at that hashtag. So I think that's a really effective way in creating community, also collecting content from events and stuff like that. I think they've got brilliant use there. If you want to ask your audience to be using a hashtag when they're posting pictures, it means that at the end of the day, you get to collect up all that user generated content and you get to use that and store that. And um, that's future content for you guys, which is amazing. But yeah, I think there are other reasons that hashtags maybe aren't the best (laughs) one I guess is that they do tend to look a bit spammy and they can also invite spam which nobody wants so you've got to be careful the kinds of hashtags that you're using steering clear I think specifically of ones that are mentioning finances money investing because those forex trader accounts they will be (laughs) all over you they will be in your comments (laughs) they will be degrading your community making it not look as authentic as it is and I think Mm. yeah when you start to get spam comments it does start to impact that community of people that are commenting because they're thinking oh well these aren't even real people here anyway so why am I going to engage you want to try and keep spam off of your account as much as possible even if that just means like you'll get some occasionally but you just need to quickly go in and delete those spam comments but yeah I think just being cautious about the hashtags that you use is important yeah I'm very cautious on hashtags and we've used them to some success in the in the past but the overall rule here is always think about how people use hashtags and you are a person so if you are a social media manager or if you are a head of digital or head of marketing and you're thinking about social media you are a person how do you use hashtags like which hashtags do you use because as emma just mentioned a lot of them are community focused so actually if you're using more of the generic ones like hashtag travel hashtag fashion hashtag etc. Who who's actually looking at those? Is it the target audience? Is it the kind of people that you want to reach? Probably not. And then the flip side to that is for those hashtags that really do work and the community hashtags, how much can your brand contribute and bring value to that space? Because you will be noticed to be a brand, not a person in that environment. And so if you are adding it to every single post, regardless of whether it's valuable or interesting to that community people are going to notice pretty quickly so think about it you know I often think how do I use hashtags so I'm into football I support wolves I used the hashtag WWFC a lot to look at what other people are saying about how the match has gone what the verdict on some transfers is how angry people are about the way the club is run and so I will use that specifically to find information so how can a brand take their persona the people that they want to reach and think what hashtags are they actually using and do they actually find value out of because i very rarely use hashtags beyond wwfc and a a couple of others so as emma mentioned if you then are just putting them on the post for the sake of adding hashtags it starts to look very spammy and yeah not great Yeah. And I think we're obviously talking quite specifically here, I guess, more about Instagram, but there are different platforms that hashtags are very, 
they're a lot more effective on. So for example, Twitter, hashtags are super effective. If everybody's watching Dragon's Den at the same time, you'll see yeah. hashtag Dragon's Den. You want to see what everyone's saying about people or you want to see the news or whatever it is, you can search that hashtag. And I also think even looking at platforms like TikTok, hashtags is basically the only thing that you would put in your caption at the moment because it's a new platform still. It's relatively new. It's got one of the highest growth rates of all the platforms. And the hashtag FYP, which is for you page, is the hashtag that everybody's content goes on to if you use that hashtag. And so if somebody's new to TikTok, that will be the content that they're seeing. So they're automatically mm. getting shown the FYP hashtag if you're a brand new TikTok user. So that's how you find new accounts. So it's more for like discoverable purposes, I would say, specifically for those new platforms like TikTok, they're really effective. But I think, yeah, just measure the effectiveness of it when you're looking at platforms like Instagram and especially, yeah, not even relevant on Facebook. Yeah, good point. The context for platforms and then the context for audience is the important thing to remember when thinking about hashtags and ultimately if you're not 100% confident that you are using a relevant hashtag that people are actually going to use then just don't use it because it invites spam and just looks spammy yeah so that brings us to our fifth and final myth which is boosted posts increase post effectiveness so we see a lot of people create good social media content and they want to boost its effectiveness and boost its reach. And so they pay to boost it on Facebook or Instagram. So most people use a small amount of budget and they expect to see an increase in the results, but that doesn't actually relate to how boosted posts work. So when you boost a post, Facebook optimizes the results for reach. So what Facebook is saying is this person is paying £20 to boost this post and they're doing that because they want as many people to see it as possible. Now, Facebook make it very easy for you to boost a post because they want you to spend that £20 on a post. They want to make money that way. And so they know that for most people, seeing reach justifies that spend. And this fits into our first myth around reach not being the optimum metric because reach is much more of a vanity metric. So you spend £20, you boost it to 60,000 people and you think that's a success. Actually, Facebook has a number of different ways of optimizing its adverts. For boosted posts, it optimizes on reach. But if you ran an actual ad campaign, you could choose how to optimize your adverts and you could optimize them for conversions instead of reach. And what Facebook does then is find people, not who it can just show the post to, but it finds people who are most likely to take action. And that links to the whole thing of Facebook knows everything about you. So Facebook knows of the billions of people who use the platform. It knows the people who are most likely to watch a video, most likely to click on an article, most likely to watch a advert, most likely to click through to a website and then buy a product. And so it knows all of this because it's got all of your history. And so when you boost a post, it's showing it to a subsection of people who just want to view a video. Whereas if you ran an ad campaign, you could choose to optimize for conversions and Facebook would go out and find you a completely different set of people who are more likely to make a purchase, to book a holiday, to come to an event, to make a donation. And Facebook doesn't really tell you this when you're boosting a post. So essentially, if you want reach, great. We really wouldn't recommend going for reach. But if you want reach, then boost your posts. If you want action as a, at the end of the interaction with the person, then run advertising through Facebook Ads Manager, which is a little bit more complex, does take a bit more expertise, but ultimately is far better investment for your money. 
Definitely. Dan, I feel like that is some very great insight, although very <laughs> scary that Facebook knows everything about everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So if you look at the world of e-commerce, Facebook knows the types of people who will add to cart and abandon. And it knows the types of people who will add to cart and complete purchase. And so in an ad campaign, you could optimize for either of those if you want to. And if you optimize for add to cart, it will go out and find people who it knows adds to cart, but they, they aren't necessarily the people who will complete the purchase. So in the e-commerce world, you then run an ad campaign and you're optimizing it for conversions based on purchase. But I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma and we won't go into that now, because if we go into that too far, none of us will keep our social media accounts and Emma would be out of a job for one. But yeah. it is, uh, it's a little scary, the information they have on you. But the key thing here is if you boost a post, then you're only ever going to get eyeballs on your post, not action. Yeah, totally. So to wrap up the five social media myths that we've been through, number one, organic reach is the most crucial metric. We don't think so. We think you should measure on engagement and action more than reach. Number two, your content needs to beat the algorithm. We don't think so. We think you should be focusing on providing value and keeping your audience on the social media platform and let the algorithm do the rest in the background. Number three, People who follow you see your posts. We don't think so. We know that you need to vary your content and we know that you need to create engagement and action with those who are dormant in your following so that they see more of your content. Myth number four, hashtags are essential in all circumstances. We don't think so. So hashtags can look spammy and the priority is focusing on how people actually use them. So think about how you personally use hashtags and then work out which ones might be relevant to your brand and product. And then finally, boosted posts increase post effectiveness. So boosted posts optimize for reach and that's not the most effective thing. So if you really want action, then run a Facebook ads campaign instead optimizing on conversions great we hope that has been really helpful for you and of course if you want to explore any of those myths any further then you can drop either of us an email at dan at neighborhood.net or emma at neighborhood.net and we would love to start the conversation with you or maybe you've got a few more to add to that list let us know we would love to hear from you thank you so much for listening and we will be back very soon